Welcome to Now Appalachia, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachia. And a hello and a welcome to you, friends, once again, as we bring you another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, as we continue to profile the outstanding authors from the Appalachian region that have connections to the Appalachian region and what they are up to in terms of their literary and cultural works. And I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us. And we've got a terrific program for you today because we're going to be talking about one of the first full-length histories of one of 20th century's most important pop culture icons. And that is something we all are familiar with and we all know about, and that is Charlie Brown. And we're going to be talking with author and professor and historian of all things Charlie Brown. His name is Blake Scott Ball, and his new book is called Charlie Brown's America. And he is an assistant professor of history, is Blake Scott Ball at Huntington, Huntington College in Montgomery, Alabama. He is also a historian of not just only all things Charlie Brown, but also of U.S. political culture. And his book, Charlie Brown's America, came out in the spring of 2021 from Oxford University Press. And we are so delighted to talk to Blake here today as we take a different look about one of uh, America's most popular and most identifiable cultural icons, and that is Peanuts and Charles Schultz, the uh, creator of the strip Peanuts. So Blake, welcome to Now Appalachia. So good to have you here. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. Really excited to have you here, and I think that as we were talking before we started uh, taping, uh, after reading this book, I have a whole different understanding and respect for not only uh, Charles Schultz and what he was doing as an author and a creator, but also of the entire Peanuts genre and the entire Peanuts uh, comic strip. But I've heard you describe um, this book that you have written as a biography of Peanuts' cultural life. What do you mean by that? Um, well, so there are there are definitely um, elements in my book of of the biography of Charles Schultz because I, I, I believe that to understand the the these creations you had to understand something about the creator. But I, I really wanted to go beyond that, beyond just your typical um, artist or author biography. And to explore these characters, um, kind of in the way that that um, that many of your listeners have have lived with them, um, in a lot of ways, uh, to think about Charlie Brown, Snoopy, and Lucy, and these other characters, it's almost as though. Uh, well, they're they're about as real as non-real people could be uh, to many Americans. Um, uh, we know their personalities, uh, we know their foibles, we we know uh, their quirks, and uh, and we identify with different aspects of these of these characters. Um, and so, I wanted to tell the story of how uh, these characters had kind of originated in the mind of Charles Schultz, but then kind of birthed out into the world, uh, over the decades took on a life of their own that, that oftentimes went beyond what, uh, what even Charles Schultz intended for them. Uh, and so that's really what I'm exploring in this book is, is how 
these characters became American icons uh, that that resonated with with all sorts of people, even people that were extremely different from the artist and creator himself, Charles Schultz. One of the things that I found really interesting in in looking at your book and thinking about Peanuts is that, you know, Charles Schultz created this this comic strip and these characters in the 1950s. And if you think about from the 1950s up until 2000, everything that was going on in our country through the uh, the civil rights era in Vietnam of the 60s and all the issues of the 70s and everything through the 80s and the Cold War and all the way up through the 90s, yet People still read Peanuts. Uh, what Schultz was doing with those characters still remained relevant over 50 years in all of those different sort of uh, political pop culture changes and revolutions that we went through during that time period. How was he able to keep his strip kind of meaningful and relevant and keep people reading it year after year, decade after decade, despite the fact we had all these other things going on around us in society? Uh, well, that's that's a great question. It's really a key question at the at the heart of the book. Um, uh, Charles Schultz, for one, was just uh, a tremendously um, reflective and thoughtful person. He, I think, as much as anything, Charles Schultz enjoyed thinking about the world, thinking about ideas, thinking about questions that didn't always have easy answers, uh, the, the, the meaning of life kind of questions and the purpose of the universe kind of, kind of thoughts. And so he really enjoyed contemplating these things. Uh, he was also uh, very driven uh, to create uh, content that that did uh, resonate with with his audience. So he is um, constantly introducing new characters. One of the things that you that you uh, see in conversations among uh, Peanuts fans is is uh, kind of uh, well, what about uh, what about whatever happened to Frida or what whatever happened to the cat that lived next door or whatever happened to this character, or that character, uh, Olaf, you know, Snoopy's brother, Olaf or all that, you know, and some people will look at this and go, oh, well, that was a failed character because it kind of came for a period of time and then went and, and all these sorts of things. But I really look at that as Charles Schultz just continued uh, drive and ambition to to innovate to to constantly be thinking about new ideas ways to keep the strip fresh and and moving forward i think another thing that really helped it to stay relevant was the fact that um charles schultz really saw um peanuts the comic strip as the core of everything in in the peanuts universe now of course peanuts becomes from a licensing standpoint Peanuts becomes kind of the blueprint for a whole lot of modern uh, licensing empires like uh, that would follow like Garfield or, or like what's become of, of even uh, other franchises like Star Wars or, or, or uh, things beyond this, where, where you have kind of this core property that balloons out into all these different sorts of uh, 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 merchandise. But Schultz was insistent that if the core of the Peanuts enterprise was not strong, that being the comic strip, then all of the other stuff would just become kind of useless ephemera that eventually no one would want. 
And so uh, he was extremely intent and extremely hands-on in developing that strip uh, day after day, week after week. And so I, I think that kind of intentional um, personal care that he gave to the comic strip was was really important in uh, in keeping it relevant as well. He never really stepped away over those 50 years from uh, those those creations. And one of the things I really liked about your book, speaking of creations, is there's so much of Charles Schultz himself in a lot of those characters that he creates. And uh, I'm so glad you mentioned the cat, because I wonder what happened to the cat next door. As a cat lover myself and a cat owner, the more I was reading your book, I thought, you know, what did happen to the cat? It just kind of came and went, but uh, uh, those things happened. But um, in terms of of characters and Schultz kind of, you know, imbuing himself with character within the characters that he created – I love how you talked about the, the the creation of Linus, who's one of my favorite characters uh, in the Peanut strips, and that really was born, or his character was born out of a combination of Schultz's faith and kind of the the push as we get into the '70s and '80s, especially on the commercialization of Christmas, and that kind of melded together to create Linus, and and we learned that. Um, one of the things that Linus ultimately did was serve as kind of the conduit for Schultz's opinion or feelings about religion. Can you talk a little bit about, mm-hmm. about Linus and that example? And, and are there other characters that kind of spawn off from or came from uh, Schultz's uh, beliefs or value systems that he was able to kind of put into those characters that he created? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so th- you're this very perceptive. Uh, Linus absolutely kind of develops as a as a outlet for Schultz to discuss ideas that were very important to him that that he was uh, thinking a lot about in his personal life. Those ideas about uh, about religion and about the place of faith in public life in America. He, uh, you know, the, the 1960s um, were a time where that, um, that issue, and, and I mean, let's be honest, even to this day, uh, that issue was uh, very deeply debated. It could be a kind of fraught topic about how much uh, this, should, this should be public. And, and so um, Schultz utilized Linus as this personality Oftentimes, not to be not to be dogmatic. This is one of the interesting things. You know, Linus is a Van Pelt. He's he's a little brother of Lucy, who who can be extremely dogmatic uh, in in dictating to the other characters about how they should think or feel or act. Um, Linus doesn't really have so much that personality as he does. He's um, uh, he's the philosopher of the family, right? Who, who likes to, likes to meditate on these ideas, but especially likes to meditate on scripture and, and on ideas of, of uh, religion. Even when we think about his, one of his most famous scenes, which is the great pumpkin uh, every year, really it's a meditation on faith and faith and doubt and, and, and trying to navigate those, um, those tensions of, you know, what happens when the things we have believed and hoped for don't necessarily unfold the way we had envisioned. And um, so Linus uh, becomes a, a very important uh, conduit for that conversation uh, for Schultz and became very important uh, as, as I lay out in, in one of the chapters became very important to, um, 
the uh, especially evangelical readers in in Charles Schultz audience because this was someone who was willing to sort of frankly discuss these things in a time where culture pop culture was actually moving shying away from talking so openly about the specifics of faith we talk about faith generally but we don't want to really talk in specifics because because they were concerned about offending particular groups or uh, individuals and and Schultz was willing to go there and talk kind of honestly. I think another character that developed um, sort of out of Schultz personal values uh, as, as well is, um, well, I can talk about many, but uh, Peppermint Patty, I think, is one um, where Charles Schultz envisioned this, this character of this little girl. He, he'd had a number of girls with, with uh, really vibrant and engaging personalities, whether Sally or Lucy. Um, but with Peppermint Patty, he imagined a girl who uh, was very confident, very capable, very able. But at the same time, she struggles with some of the insecurities of not feeling like she exactly fits in for what society has prescribed a girl should be like. Um, she she is a girl. She does feel very feminine. But at the same time, she's also the most athletic and competitive of, of the characters in the strip. And sometimes she has trouble processing what, what this means. She also comes from, uh, from a broken family. She's the one place in peanuts where it's explore, you know, her parents are divorced. And, and so uh, Schultz was trying to speak to those children that did not feel exactly like they fit into the molds of, uh, that the, of society and, and speaking to them that, Hey, it's okay to be you, right? There's great things about you too. Um, and, uh, and you should, uh, you should be comfortable and confident in that. And, uh, and that really has, as, as we see from, you know, fan response over the decades, that really has spoken a, a meaningful lesson to a lot of people in their, uh, in their youth growing up. So you spent about 10 years working on this project. What got you interested in it and why Charles Schultz, why peanuts and why tie that into kind of the, the, the popular politics of the time period in which the strip was popular? Yeah. Um, well, I was a childhood doodler. Uh, there, there are, uh, there are boxes at my house of the various cartoons and comic strips I tried to develop with my classmates when I was a kid. I, I love uh, doing these sorts of things and love reading them. As I got older, I became a lot more interested in literature and history and, and politics and uh, uh, academics in, in general. And there was a time where I thought that, well, um, I've now kind of graduated to these more mature interests and, and, I, and I need to... But there was always this remaining part of me at my heart that that just loved uh, loved art, loved uh, culture, and and really felt like um, felt like there was more there than we gave it credit for. Right? That that sometimes we treat these things like they're like they're childish, and that you know they're just for fun entertainment, and then you walk away from those and do serious adult things, and. And I just never quite bought that um, because I could see how many how many adults uh, around me uh, growing up still, you know, every time I went to a, 
went to a, an office or to a doctor's office or whatever. You see the, you know, somebody have a peanut strip cut out and pasted on the board or, you know, or, or a peanuts calendar out there. And I'm like, man, this, this thing is just kind of everywhere. And, uh, and it's, you know, we act like it's just supposed to be for kids, but yet as adults keep hanging, you know, we keep it around. What, what is it about this? And so, um, also, I, I developed uh, the 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 thinking through through this as I got uh, more deep uh, into my graduate studies. I, I really started thinking that you know culture is an interesting space where we kind of sometimes I think let our guards down. We kind of it it, it feels it, it's comfortable. It's it's um, it's our relaxed space, and it's a space where we oftentimes. Um, just kind of unleash some of our assumptions that maybe in other spaces we might be more guarded. We might be more tactical about how we navigate the politics of something. But in our cultural spaces, oftentimes we're just we're just there for fun. And so oftentimes we express assumptions that um, that we may not even realize we've we've uh, allowed out. And so I wanted to explore a, a really popular um, property that was uh, known by everybody and see what uh, was kind of unintentionally said about America and, and uh, American life in those decades through that, through that property. I also just wanted to do a type of history that would be um, engaging for somebody beyond just the, the academic halls of a university. Um, I, I enjoy having those conversations and I want to have those conversations, but I also think that, uh, that there are a lot of folks out there who maybe had a, uh, had a rough go in a history class uh, one time in high school and go, ah, history's not for me. And uh, one, of the, one of the things I, I love to, uh, to communicate to people is, man, every, anything that you love has a history. Anything that you love has a history, um, and that's where history can get really exciting is, is when you start connecting it to the things you care about and start to understand and appreciate even more the, the development of things that, you, that you've come to, to love and value. We are speaking with author Blake Ball today here on Now Appalachia. He is a professor of history at Huntington College in Montgomery, Alabama. He is the author of the fantastic new book, Charlie Brown's America, the popular politics of peanuts that is really the first full-length history of uh, peanuts and, and, and what it is and why it's important. And it's got everything in there that you would love as a, his, a history buff or someone interested in history. It's got comic strips. It's got advertisements. It's got some rarely seen original artwork by Charles Schultz. And so we'll come back to the book uh, in just a couple of minutes. But Blake, I wanted to ask you, uh, as a historian, who are some of your favorite historians? Who are historians that you look up to that, uh, whose work that you always are looking for um, and refer back to as you're looking for models and examples? Because as writers, we do that if we're writing fiction and poetry and uh, playwriting and whatever we're doing, we always have our, our idols or our models that we refer to. Who are some historians that you really value and respect in that regard? Oh, wow. Um, well, I think uh, there. Wow, that's a that's a great question. You know, um, someone that that um, that I really value. I, I like I like historians who kind of um, who kind of think of things maybe in a bit of an unconventional way. Um, I really like uh, Grace Hale, 
who is uh, who's at Virginia, um, who does Southern cultural history and uh, just just really um, takes kind of um, takes sources you wouldn't normally uh, expect and and uh, pulls them in in really thoughtful and enlightening ways. Uh, she wrote a, a her first book was The Making of Whiteness. Um, and, uh, she's written a lot of other great stuff since then, but, uh, yeah, I really like her stuff. Uh, I also, uh, really like David Greenberg who wrote a book, um, uh, wrote a book called Nixon's shadow. And so it was a, it was a history, not of Richard Nixon, but of the perception of Richard Nixon by different groups over the course of his political career and how, uh, how that kind of shaped the political conversation uh, as as different people kind of made uh, their version of who they thought they were dealing with and Richard Nixon. And um, and that that kind of concept really inspired my thinking about, hey, let's move away so much from thinking about the artists to actually thinking about the icons and the creation and development and life of of an icon. Um, and. Then um, a lot more uh, a popular name that, that I really uh, enjoy is uh, Robert Caro, uh, who spent his, his career, formerly a journalist, but has spent his career um, uh, uh, covering the, the life of Lyndon Johnson. And uh, one of the things I, I love about uh, Caro's work is just his... Um, just how deeply he thinks about not just the, the people that are involved, but the settings, the context um, to he, he really invests in recreating, uh, putting you back in the day and the week and the space in which the these historical actors were living and had to make their choices. And uh, and I, I just love that. And I try to I try to think that deeply about my own work to 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 really paint a picture that uh, that helps you to get back to the moment, uh, you know, almost to time travel in a way back to the moments that that we're talking about. So when you take on a project like you've done here with Charlie Brown's America or really any nonfiction project, because I, I know as historians, you, you, there's other things that you guys do, book reviews and uh, all kinds of other things. Um, but when you're taking on a project like this, what's the hardest part? Is it the research? Is it balancing research and writing time? Is it finding time and resources to be able to go to archives to get what you need? What, what is the hardest part about taking on a project like this? Well, I, I think, um, you know, there's, there's, of course, challenges at every stage. I think the the hardest part for me oftentimes has been in once you've found the resource, once you've found your sources, once you've collected them and you've started reading through them, like making sense of, it can be really easy to see, okay, I've got, I got a patch of trees over here. I got a patch of trees over there. I got a patch but where, what's the forest? What, what am I looking at here? Uh, what is, what is the big story? And, uh, that can be, sometimes I think our challenge, uh, as historians is that we're the ones that have dug so deeply into the weeds 
that sometimes it's hard for us to find our way back out with anything useful uh, to, you know, we come back as these sort of crazed people covered in dirt and, you know, and, and artifacts and, and uh, mumbling about whatever, you know, whatever we found. And um, it, the challenge for me is, is putting that back, putting those pieces back together into something that's that's meaningful to somebody that hasn't been down in the hole with me digging for the for the last uh several months and um that is uh it's really challenging but it's also extremely rewarding get it, getting to the end when you've when you've kind of figured the story out and you get to write it and and then talk about talk about it to people like, uh, in this case, it's just, it's just so much fun to be able to, uh, uh, bring some of these moments back to life, uh, from our past. Charlie Brown's America, the popular politics of peanuts. That's the book we're talking about on this edition of now Appalachia. And we're pleased to be joined by author Blake ball, as he has looked at Charlie Brown and peanuts from a totally different perspective than most of us have. And it's a wonderful and really enriching and rewarding book. And uh, Blake, I want to ask you about something that I really found was one of the one of the most touching moments uh, in the entire book, and that is you were able to find through your research in the archives fan letters from the Schultz Museum, and some of these have never been made public before, where people were writing Charles Schultz and asking him questions, and he was corresponding back with some of them. Can you talk about that, the value of that, and when you've discovered that, how, how neat that must have been to see people reaching out to him and him reaching out to his readers in a formal way? Yeah, this is really one of the really special parts of, of this book. Um, you know, I, um, at the time that I began researching this book, uh, the, the Schultz Museum uh, which is located in Santa Rosa, California, up in Northern, Northern California, um, was uh, just a, just a couple of years old. And in fact, um, there were days that I was there researching in the archives that, um, that family members were still bringing new materials that had been up in the attic or in a closet, uh, in, in boxes that hadn't been seen for years, they'd just been stowed away. Uh, it, you know, at the time I started working on this, uh, Schultz had, had only been passed away about 10 years. Um, so it, it was still in a lot of ways, very recent. And so it was so exciting to see uh, a lot of this stuff coming to light. Um, I also love the fact that, you know, you got to see how, um, I think, I think peanuts really as, as Charles Schultz experienced it, which was that it wasn't, these were his characters and these were his ideas, but at the same time, he very well understood that he wasn't alone in, in this story, that, uh, that there was a whole country uh, watching along with him and uh, reading along with them. And they had very strong opinions at times about, uh, about what to do. You asked about, uh, uh, you, you mentioned the cat or me mentioned Frida. I remember one fan letter in particular um, where a fan wrote to tell, uh, to tell um, uh, uh, Schultz that he should get rid of Frida, the next door neighbor, that she, she just wasn't a good character. She wasn't working. And he said, I know how hard it must be to get rid of your own creations. So here, I'll do it for you. And he, <laughs> he, drew, he drew a picture of Frida at the bottom and, and, and took an ax to her. 
I was like, oh my goodness. And uh, <laughs> Schultz kind of wrote a funny letter back to him, but, uh, but, you know, he, he got all this, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it was from people sometimes, you know, just uh, uh, school children. Uh, sometimes it was uh, homemakers or businessmen. Sometimes it was presidents and congressmen and senators and governors, um, just the whole range of America. And so I, I thought, you know, what better way to, to really try and get at telling the story of America during the, during these 50 years than, uh, than to bring in these voices uh, from across the, the different ranges and dynamics of American life. Um, and uh, it, it was just so rewarding. There, there were so many neat stories and personal stories at times that, uh, that were uh, just really special. And uh, I'm so glad I got to, you know, uh, commemorate some of those, some of those people. Right. Who may may not end up in any other kind of American history, um, uh, but but they they get to have their voice heard here uh, in, in this story. And I certainly hope the axe did not befall the cat. I hope that's not what happened to the cat in the comic strip. Now that I know Frida got the axe dropped on her, I hope that's not what happened to the poor cat. <laughs> we might have to have that. We might have to do some more investigation, or I might have to make my own pilgrimage to go out there to California and find out what happened to the cat. Hopefully it wasn't the axe. <laughs> but uh, as we finish up here, Blake, in our final moments, um, can you tell us a little bit about, first of all, if anyone wants to uh, reach out to you to talk to you about your book or about any other projects you're working on, how can they get in contact with you, first of all? And then secondly, where can they get copies of your book? Sure. Um, so to get in touch with me, uh, I am on uh, social media on Twitter. At uh, My handle is at BSB1945. Um, I also have a uh, Medium uh, webpage uh, where I keep a blog. Um, that's at blakescottball.medium.com. Um, you can also, if you want to send me an email, I'm at blakescottball at gmail.com. So uh, feel free to email there. Um, the book is available at um, Amazon. It's also available at uh, your independent uh, book publishers or, or uh, booksellers, uh, your local bookstores. Uh, you can find me at uh, Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or, or whoever you order your books from. Uh, just search Charlie Brown's America or Blake Ball uh, and, uh, and you'll find find the book there. In fact, someone, uh, someone showed me the other day, if you go to Amazon and search Charlie Brown book, uh, it's, it's the first one that pops up. So, um, yeah, you, you can find us anywhere you buy your books. Fantastic. And it is a fantastic new book. And we've been talking about it here today on now Appalachia with professor and author of the, the new book, Charlie Brown's America, the popular politics of peanuts written by Huntington college professor, uh, Blake ball. And this is a fantastic book. It really is a great insight for Peanuts fans. And if you want to see Peanuts and, and learn more about Peanuts and about Charles Schultz uh, himself and, and why he did some of the things that he did, uh, it's in this book, the comic strips, the advertisements, some of Schultz's artwork that's never been made public is there. And also, as we've been talking about, there's some great archival material 
regarding fan letters that Charles Schultz received and some of the comments that he gave back. So for your, for peanuts enthusiasts or people uh, wanting to learn more about it, it's a terrific book, Blake. And I know you worked long and hard on it and uh, it paid off. It's a fantastic story. It's a great insight into not only Schultz and peanuts, but uh, kind of what our country was going through during the period of Schultz's writing of it from the 1950s through the 2000s. So congratulations on it. And as you uh, keep working on other projects, we'd love to have you back on the program to talk about it. So thanks for being with us today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. We want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia to give a shout out to our executive producer and the executive producer of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all the support and behind the scenes work that she does making this podcast possible as well as all the other podcasts you hear on the network possible. So Pam, thank you so much for all that you do. And we also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And that's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia. Please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.